are we as Christians, and I don't, just don't mean here, I mean in general, are we ready for the Lord? And you hear a lot about the rapture. You know, sometimes if you're just going across the radio stations and, or whatever you do and you, you stop on the Christian station, sometimes you'll hear about the rapture or on TV and what have you. And one of the things that I noticed is a lot of times there's a focusing upon taking us out, taking us away, getting us out of this, getting out of our situation and all that, and not upon what is actually in Matthew 24 and in Luke where it says two are grinding, one is taken, one is left. Two are in bed, one is taken, one is left. Two are in the field, one is taken, and one is left. And right before that, it says, watch. So there's more attention placed upon the rapture in that, Lord, take us out of here. I've had enough of this life. And, you know, especially in situations where people were persecuted or whatever. Uh, and instead of watch or be ready is the... Uh, admonishment there in the verse in the scriptures. So are we, am I, ready for the arrival of the Lord? Am I ready, are you ready to be part of the bride? And so to be part of the bride will mean that we must have the glory of God. Because Jesus is coming back for a church. It says that he will present to himself a glorious church. So when it says they're glorious church, that means that those that will constitute or make up the bride will have to have the glory of God. And then there's a verse in the Old Testament that says that she is all, I believe it's the royal queen is all glorious within and then the translators add in the palace, but that's not really in there. And the thought is a queen, a bride. She's going to be ready. She's all glorious within. And then you can take that, as I see it, you know, in the Song of Solomon and as applied to those today that are being prepared, there is to be a glory within she is all glorious within. Now, in Romans, I'll, I'll go there. Go to, you go to Isaiah 43. Romans 8, verse 18. In Romans 3, let me go to Romans 3 here, too. The problem here that the, the Lord has, or we could say the problem as far as preparing or the purpose of God in the preparing is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when you read that in Romans 3, that tells you that there's a problem. We've come short. Everyone has come short of the glory of God. But remember that God has done something, something to remedy that, and that is that he sent Jesus Christ to die. That's the beginning for you and I and for whosoever will. But in Romans 3, I was looking at this. We, we know this verse. 
you know, for all sin to come short of the glory of God. But I'll, I'll start two verses above. But now the righteous, righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So he's talking not about the law. He's talking about the righteousness. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's all who are presently continually believing. That word in the Greek, the verb, means not that you believed sometime or, you know, in the past or whatever. It's that you are presently and in your spirit you are continually believing. So the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, all who believe. So in, in one setting here, you have all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now over here, the Lord brings through Christ a righteousness that is available to us. And we are to move in certain things to obtain certain things. Now in Romans 8, I'll read this. You're familiar with this. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now the word in, in English, is a preposition from the Greek, and that's ice, and that's a preposition of direction, and it means into. So Paul is, is saying here that I believe it's probably a two-way thing into the glory of God and the glory of God into you. And now in Isaiah 43, verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name. So that includes you. So you are called by his name. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. So the purpose of God is to place the glory of God in you. See, that is what's going to prepare you to be the bride of Christ. Just coming to Christ, as many have done, and going your own way, doing your own thing, doing what you think you know, is right, or what you think might you know, cause this work to be done, is not the point. The point is that we must follow him, and we must live in the righteousness of God, right living, and so forth, being separated, and so forth, in order to prepare us. See, the Lord wants to put his glory within you, and if he's able to put his glory in you, and that is a continual work, it's a process that's going on in your life, then that is going to prepare you for the Lord. And when it says watch, that is not talking about a physical thing. This is an internal thing. The preparation is internal. The watching is internal. The placing of the glory of God within the believer is internal. That is why... Jesus spoke in parables. That is why he kept certain things hidden from those who were without. They were outside. They didn't have the heart condition to come in and the heart condition to move with God in order for him to place his glory within them. 
Now, in 2 Corinthians, so this is a purpose of God, as I see it in the scripture. And it is a calling of God that you and I would have his glory. In 2 Corinthians, this is a familiar portion of scripture, 2 Corinthians 3. In the scriptures, there are various things that Paul says and others that will help us and give, give us direction to help the Lord in this process of placing that which he wants to place in your life, being the glory. You can call it the work of God. You can call it a lot of different things. And in the scriptures, it's termed in other ways. But still, that's what we're, what's, what's going on. That's what he wants to do. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face or unveiled face. So that's a work of the Spirit to reveal our heart, reveal our face, to show us what's there. So we all with unveiled face, and by the way, that is a necessary element that must take place periodically in our walk in order for us to behold him. See, certain things will get in the way of our beholding, and one of them will be us, ourselves. And so the, the Lord will come and reveal certain things to us so that he can show us that and get us uh, redirected or get that out of the way so we can behold the Lord. So we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. But what's the purpose of the glory of the Lord here? What's the purpose of beholding it? Well, he goes on and he says, that we are changed or that we would be transformed. See, so the work, it's not a hard thing. You, all you need to do is behold the Lord. You have to have the Spirit of God show you that. What internal mechanism is there to do that? See, the Lord has put that which you need to behold Him. And so you need to be willing. And so as you behold Him... You are changed or you are transformed. The word is metamorphosis. I didn't look it up, but I'm sure it's what it is. And, and that's a passive verb, which means that you receive the action. Well, what action is that? That you are changed from the glory that you have now to a greater glory. So the beholding is what we need to do as a Christian. We need to behold him. And that's an internal thing doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing, you in your heart can behold the Lord. And as you behold him, there's a transformation that takes place, and that's God's end of it. He does that. You receive the action. You are changed from glory to glory. See, from glory to glory, because that's a purpose of God. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord, as the verse continues and says. He's the one that does that. In 2 Thessalonians, see, you were made, as it says in Psalms there, you were made to hold the glory of God. You were made to carry the glory of God. That was a purpose. That's why Paul says that we all have sinned and come short of that. 
See, that's a purpose. It has always been a purpose back then, and it's a purpose today. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel, why, Paul, why did he call you or call us by his gospel? For the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that obtaining there means that there is an acquisition or that you possess. What is it that we are to possess and obtain? The glory of God. The glory of God. And by the way, in I believe in the King James, it says, does it say for obtaining or to obtaining? What's it say there? To the obtaining. In the New King James, it says for. And they're both fine, but that, again, is that word ice, and that is a preposition of direction. It means into. See, so... The heart of the willing believer is to be pointed into that direction of obtaining the glory of God. Beholding to obtain the glory of God. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts. Now, that's fantastic. We can all remember a point in our life, maybe for some of us years ago, when we were walking in darkness and we didn't know we were in darkness. And the gospel came and the light of the gospel penetrated that darkness in our heart. And there was a morning and evening. There was a day created, you know, and the Lord said, let there be light and you were birthed from above. And so he says here, he commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light, listen to this, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ or in the person of Jesus Christ or in the image of Jesus Christ, however you want to say that. Uh, but this process here, was for us to have a knowledge of the glory of God. Not some head knowledge, but that we would catch that there is something else going on here in this life. Uh, there's something that the Lord wants to do, and it's not in our works or what you know, comes out in the, the natural here that we can do for the Lord, but that in our spirit within that we understand or that we know there's something more. And the Lord, because we walk with him, he brings the knowledge of the glory of God. Gnosko, a knowledge, an understanding, not uh, with our heads, but an inner understanding that the Lord is up to something. And what he's up to is he wants to put the glory in you. So he goes on and he says here, to give the light of the, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face or in the person of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power or the dunamis or the ability is from God and not from us. See, if you understand the process, how the Lord is beginning to do this in your life, you will know that it was not by you. You had 
no part in it other than being willing and walking with him. As far as the mechanics of putting the glory of God in you, you cannot take credit for that. And you know that because all you need to do is turn and look where you were. And look where the Lord has brought you and where you are now. And you can't take any credit for that. And so he says that the excellency of the power may be of God. But he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Well, what do we want as Christians? What treasure do we want? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were interested in the honor of this life. And Jesus said that they would seek for the uppermost seats in the synagogue, the honor, the prestige, and all that that came from you know that position, and that was their thing. They wanted to, I am religious, I can walk around, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee, I'm wearing this robe, look at me. And they go after the glory of this world instead of the glory of God. And you see many religious people in the Bible and at this present time, this day, going after the honor or the glory of this life. And you have examples in the Bible where people go after the glory of this world, the glory of riches, for example. That's what kept the rich young ruler from following after Jesus because his heart was going after riches. And his heart going after riches kept him from obtaining the glory of God because he's going after the glory of this world. So Timothy says, we probably should turn it. Let's turn to uh, second, 1 Timothy rather than my quoting it. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, see, it's not the riches themselves. It's what goes on internally in the person so that there are many people who are not rich but desire to be rich. And because they desire to be rich, they go after the glory of this world and the glory of God is lost upon that particular individual. And so he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men. They drown the person. See, they look at success. Oh, I have all this money and I have all this honor, this position. And that in the world's eyes is success. And many Christians look at that and emulate that. And what takes place is something goes on inside them and they move toward that rather than the glory of God. So he says that there are many foolish, that the desire to be rich moves them into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the next verse, for the love of money is the root of all evil. See, it's not the money, it's the, it's the love of it. It's the desire for it. That's the problem. So you can be a Christian, and the Lord can bless you, and he can give you, you know, 
maybe a million dollars a year or whatever he gives you, and that could have no effect upon you because you are beholding the Lord and because your heart is focused and moving toward or into the glory of God rather than the glory of this present life. So, Paul says, we have this treasure in earth and vessels. Well, what treasure do we want? See, every Christian has to decide, do I want the treasure of the glory of God, or do I want the treasure of the glory of this world? And if you would ask Christians, they would say, well, of course I want the glory of God. And then they'll turn around and move toward the glory of this world. So we have a choice. And Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And he's alerting us to something that is internal. And there is a process by which that treasure is placed there and that treasure increases because we are being changed from glory to glory. Or, or you could say we are being changed as we behold to one measure of glory to another measure of glory, even by the Spirit of God. So there's a lot going on in the Bible. There's a lot going on as far as the purpose of God, the call of God, and all that as pertaining to the Christian, especially the Christian who wants to be uh, where the Lord wants them in spirit. I'm not talking about the will of God as far as going someplace, but where the Lord wants us in spirit, you know, where, we, where we function from, the point at which we function from, where we are. So we have this choice here. We can focus on that which is of the world. And I believe that the uh, King James in Timothy says, uses the word covet in there, doesn't it? Does it use the word covet? It doesn't use the word covet in the New King James. Coveted after. after. Now that word coveted, the meaning of that is to reach forth. See, it's not the riches. It's not the money. It's the reaching forth. Now, it's, it's nothing to do with providing for your family. You should do that. But it's a reaching forth to possess, to possess that. See, to covet after. That's the, the big thing. That will keep the glory of God from being placed in a, in a person with, the, with that going on. Any, actually, ambition, uh, drive, the motivation, worldly pursuits, all of that will become a hindrance to the glory of God in the Christian. So we need to watch our hearts. Are we pursuing something? You know, is there some selfish ambition in our heart? You know, we need to see that. The Lord, that's part of the unveiling, I believe. We all with open face. That's the, the unveiling. So that what is there in the heart that could hinder us is revealed to us. We all with open face. You know, it's revealed. It's unveiled. Oh, I see that. Now, okay, what am I going to do? Lord, am I going to allow you to deal with this thing and get it out of my life? Or am I going to hold on to that? So now he, he will come and reveal that. 
See, there's a purpose behind it so that that can be moved out of the way so there's no interference with us internally beholding the Lord and then the process of being changed from glory to glory. Now, in Isaiah 42, so remember, going after the glory of man, the glory of this present life, will keep the Christian from the glory of God. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is, uh, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. So he's talking here about his glory, and the children of Israel who were idolaters you know, he says, I'm not going to give my glory to another here. And the context is idolatry there, the carved images and whatever. But remember what we saw in the New Testament where Paul said that the purpose is to the obtaining of the glory of God for the Christian. Now look here in Isaiah 42. Let's back up a couple verses. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. See, so calling there is in righteousness, to move in righteousness, to obtain the righteousness of God, so that the Lord can give you his glory. So if the heart is pointed toward riches or the heart is pointed toward any earthly thing, the idols of this world, sports, whatever it may be. If the heart is pointed that way, God says, I will not give my glory to another. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to give you my glory. I'm not going to give it to that idol. You're not going to get it from beholding the idol. See, but if you who have been created in righteousness here, I have called you in righteousness. You're, you're a new creature if you turn away from that idol and you turn to the Lord, well, now he's ready to give his glory, and he wants to give his glory. So it just depends on the individual. I mean, I, I know it's really good for people to come to Christ and you know, that they're saved. But I say, and I always say this, that that's just a beginning point. That is not... An end. And many Christians think it's an end because, you know, they want to go to heaven and heaven's the focus rather than beholding the Lord. It never says to behold heaven ever in the scripture, but it does say to behold Jesus. Because beholding heaven can cause us a problem. But we don't live now and we're not focused upon the work of Christ in our lives and out from our lives. We're not interested in that. Now, in 2 Timothy, the word sanctify, the basic meaning of the word sanctify is to separate from sin and to be separated to God. That's the basic meaning of it, sanctify. Now, look in 2 Timothy 2.21. See, all these things in the Bible, you know, they're interrelated. They dovetail. So, we're talking about the glory of God as opposed to the glory of this world. 
And now when you talk about sanctification, consecration, that fits right in there, see, because the, the Lord cannot, cannot do in your life what he wants to do if we are not sanctified, if we are not separated. He cannot accomplish certain things. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's that you know, we block the way. You know, we build the wall. We behold something different. And so the Lord stands there. He wants to you know, put his glory uh, within the Christian. And the Christian's not facing him. The, the Christian's facing the world. And it doesn't work that way. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Now, the context here is that which is honorable or that which is clean. You know, cleanse yourself from the things that aren't. Okay? So, the point here is that there is a self-cleansing. The Bible talks about that in various ways, various places. Now, you know we're cleansed by the blood of Christ when we come to him. He comes to us and, you know, changes our lives. There's a cleansing of the blood from our sin. But in various places, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is self-cleansing. And so that means to me that my will is involved in this. There's a process, but my will is involved. So in order for there, there to be a self-cleansing in my life, there must be obedience. There must be. So obedience becomes one of the main things as far as the glory of God being placed in our life also. That's another main thought there as far as consecration, sanctification. All that is obedience. It's, it's in the Old Testament frequently. So in back to this verse. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and meet or useful for the master, prepared. Now, he says here, prepared unto good works, right? Unto every good work. Now, it's funny that he doesn't say every work. He doesn't say every work. He says every good work. So, there are certain qualities that constitute good works, all right? One of them is the individual is to be sanctified. And there, there are others, too. But there, there must be this sanctification because the sanctification or the separation from sin, from the world, and to God is going to enable the individual here now or put it this way, it's going to give them the ability to be prepared. They're prepared for every good work, but they're also prepared for, you know, whatever, including the Lord. There's a preparation that goes on in the heart. So when the Lord deals with us, when the Lord deals with me, and he says, okay... This thing is in the way here. This is in the way. This needs to go. That needs to go. Whatever it may be. Or this is the way here. That is our, my obedience to that or your obedience to that 
will help the Lord in this process that he's involved in with the glory and the preparation and, and all that. So you get the, the preparation or being ready, it's all the same. As, it's, it all equals to the glory of God in you because he's coming for a glorious church. It's all interrelated. The sanctification is all related. It's important. It's very, very important for us. And the etymology of the word holy, holiness, hallow, sanctify, consecrate are the same. The same etymology. That means the root, all those words come from the same root somewhere. They're all related. It's just different English words. So you, you can trace that all through the scriptures. All through the scriptures. Those words, they're everywhere. Now, in Leviticus, I'll just read this verse because it's getting late. Uh, 11.44. For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there is, again, this self-cleansing. You know, consecrate yourselves. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping things that creep on the earth. So... There are things that can creep into our lives that can defile us, the Lord's saying. Not just you know, the Levitical law, those creeping things, but things, there are things that can creep into our lives because we're not under the dietary laws and we're not you know, eating in that the way that they did. You know, that's, that's something different. But see, still, the thought is there, the creeping things. <laughs> What can creep into our lives? You know, sometimes Christians let certain things creep in, and, you know, the Lord may even show them that, and they take no action, and what happens is they, they're defiled. They're defiled. Something crept in. And I believe there's always something with legs wanting to crawl into us, if you understand, the creeping things. Not, not some bug, girls. That which wants to creep in and hold on to you to get your attention from the Lord. To cause your heart to move to the side rather than to be beholding Him. In, and I'll read this also. This is, um, turn, to, turn to Exodus 19. And I have this from uh, 1 Thessalonians I'll read. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. And I'm reading this from the Amplified. For this is the will of God, that you should be consecrated, separated and set apart for pure and holy living, that you should abstain and shrink from all sexual vice. So that's, the sexual vice is low on the totem pole. That should be taken care of. That stuff should be, you know, out of the way. It shouldn't be a problem. Uh, with someone who's been with the Lord for a while. So the separation now becomes something more than that. See, it's not just sexual vice. He, that's just kind of like an example that, that they put in there. The separation is separation based upon the Spirit of God in your life. That's what the separation is. That each of you should know how to possess his vessel or, or control 
manage his own body in consecration, purity, separated from profane things. Not to be used in the passion of lust like the heathen who are ignorant of the true God and have no knowledge of his will. So there are people who don't understand that it is a will and purpose of God to be consecrated. So when the Lord wants to separate us, it's for a good purpose because he has, like they say, an end game. You know, he has this in front of us to be separated from, but there's something else he's working toward. And we sometimes, we are so caught up with that which is right in front of us that we can't lift our eyes up to see the Lord for him to show us that he's after something much, much more. Now, in uh, Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, so we're going back to this obedience thing again, and keep my covenant then, then. You see the word then? It's very important. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure or, or a special treasure to me, or you can say it this way, then you shall become a special treasure, a valued possession. You will have wealth, or you have this word in here, treasure. Now, what did we just read about the word treasure? We have this treasure in earthen vessels. See, and he was talking, I believe, about the glory of God. So here's this other factor involved here, and that is, you know, if you indeed obey my voice. See, if you can indeed, indeed do that, obey my voice, then, then you will be a treasure. So they're interrelated. So as I see this verse, you know, Christians, you know, talk about their, you know, peculiar treasure and special treasure and all this. But see, the condition in the verse, see, it's not that you can obtain that and possess that by just believing that you are or by saying, well, this is what the Bible says and I'm going to claim it. Well, if you're going to claim that you are a special treasure, you must claim the whole thing, and that is you must obey the voice of the Lord. So as far as claiming and saying, it really doesn't amount to too much. What amounts to much is obeying the voice of the Lord, and then you will become a special treasure. You will have this treasure in the earthen vessel that the Lord is really after. Now in Hebrews 12, just a couple more verses. I want you to see this here. And I'm kind of bringing all kinds of things in here. <laughs> and I don't have time to go into any of the side <laughs> areas here, so we'll stay with the main thing. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So there's that word righteousness again that we saw in two other verses. 
Therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Now, remember, I've taught about the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is. The Lord has prepared a kingdom for you. But see, for us to obtain what the kingdom has, or as it says here in verse 13, uh, to walk in the straight path, one of the, the things that's going to happen is that we must receive chastening. See, chastening will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life, and that will enable you to walk in the way, in this straight path, and it will enable you to handle, it says, the hands that hang down. You can handle the things of God. So that if, if we don't come under the chastening of the Lord, whenever that is in your life, whatever it may be, then it's not going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, and we're not going to be able to walk in the kingdom that he has prepared for us. And we're not going to be able to obtain or possess in the kingdom that which the Lord has for you, namely the glory of God. It's just one thing. So this is an important thing. Now turn to Hebrews 3. I want to show you this. In Hebrews 3, verse 18. Well, I guess we can back up a little bit here. Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that, he would not, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So you see here that the writer is saying that the Israelites could not enter, or they could not possess because they did not obey. Now look at this verse, verse 19. This is very revealing, very revealing. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And what we usually focus upon in this verse is their unbelief. But I want to focus on something else here for a second. So we see, well, we don't really see sometimes, but we see that they could not. They could not. It's not that the Lord said, you're not allowed. That's not what the writer is saying. He didn't say, well, that they weren't allowed. It says that they could not, they could not enter in. They could not. They had no ability. They, do, they didn't have the, the dunamis, the power. That's the Greek word, dunamis, power. They did not have the ability to enter into the promised land. They couldn't do it. They, they just, they didn't have that which was within them that would enable them to enter. And so you have the same thing, not just the unbelief. See, you have the same thing with certain Christians. They cannot enter into certain things. They, can't, they don't have the ability because the Lord has not been allowed by them, their will, to work in them to make them able. So there's no ability. They, it's not that the Lord says, you can't. I'm not letting you. It's that you can't because you don't have the ability. It's just something different. It's much different. So the admonishment, and we'll close with this in Matthew, 
Matthew 25. There's a lot of good things in the Bible. There's a lot the Lord has promised. There's also a lot of admonishment there, too, to try to, you know, get us in the right way. Now, in Matthew 25, verse 10, And while the five foolish virgins went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready... And that word there, if you look that word up in, in Thayer's lexicon, it means prepared. See, those that were prepared. See, it wasn't... See, they all... It says here that they all went out to meet the bridegroom. They all did, all ten. And then they all slumbered and slept. See, even the five wise slumbered and slept. That's not the point. It's not that they weren't watching... It's that they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. And what made five prepared was five before, before the Lord came, were interested in the Spirit of God working in their life to prepare them. The other five weren't interested until the Lord came, and then it was too late, because you can't, that doesn't happen overnight. You can't just do this. You can't prepare yourself. You can't be prepared overnight. So the difference was five had a heart to be prepared, five did not. So if you want to, and I don't know if this applies, I don't know, I don't know. The number here is 50%. Does that mean that 50% will not be ready? I don't know. I don't know. 50%, if you take... How many billions of Christians there are in the world now? We'll say one billion Christians. If this is reflective, and I'm not saying it is, I'm saying if this is reflective, then you have a, a half a billion Christians that aren't ready. That's a lot. You have a church of 100 people. It may, it may very well be that 50 aren't ready. Because, see, this is an internal thing. It's an internal thing. And then the last verse, I'll just quote it. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect.